Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. before the Lord as we just come into pastor's prayer, as we just come as a congregation and we as elders pray for you. Join with me. Father, you are a holy God who commands that we be holy as you are, yet it is impossible for us to do what you have required. We are deserving of your wrath and judgment as rebellious, disobedient children, and we stand guilty of profaning your holy name and replacing you as our object of admiration. Yet in your mercy and love, you have sent your Son, Jesus, to provide what you have required. Sent down to show us the love of the Father, righteous and blameless, Jesus came down to be born of a virgin. He took on flesh and walked among us, obedient to your word and serving the will of God perfectly. In doing so, he became the perfect lamb, ready for the slaughter ready to accept our judgment and punishment, receiving the wrath of God reserved for us. In love, humility, and obedience, he suffered for the unrighteous so that we may become righteous. He died that we might die to sin. And he was raised from the dead that we also might be raised with him, new creatures worthy of eternal life, not by our own doing, but as a gift from your loving hand. We come before you this morning, Father, to declare your holiness, declare your mercy, your love, and your kindness to all. We join with one voice and one heart to proclaim that there is one Lord, one faith, one name that brings salvation. All glory and honor and praise is due to the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we come this morning to humbly ask that you may lift up our hearts and our prayers, work in our hearts this morning to convict us challenge us and encourage us with the wonderful words of life found in scripture we pray this in the name of jesus and all of god's people said amen amen take your bibles if you would and turn to james chapter one we're working our way through james and i think we're in our sixth week of it message six understanding the root of temptation you know once you find that i want to give you our defining paragraph that we've been looking at of what scripture has been teaching us as we see we need to understand that God is a good wise providential king amen who loves his children and desires for them to grow spiritually strong ready to face and endure all adversary with joy that's what the first few verses are then we've gone on to see to do so though you and I need to pray with confidence for wisdom to understand and accept with contentment God's perfect plan for our lives and for His glory. Whether we are poor or whether we are enriched, we are to be content with God in the midst of suffering. And that's what we discovered last week, that one of the most difficult trials that many Christians will face is that of contentment with their finances. Money troubles is one of the leading causes of marital problems, depression, and dissatisfaction with life. However, God has called Christians to rejoice not in what we have 
or troubled with what we do not have, but He has called us to rejoice in our identity with Christ as children of God and joint heirs with Christ. That brings us up to speed so far, and we were reminded that we've already looked at verse 12 of James chapter 1, and if you're there, you can look at verse 12, where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the what? The crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now we move forward. Today, James writes about probably the most difficult and consistent trials that many of us will face. It is a trial that knows no borders and is an equal opportunity offender. Join with me as we read James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 where the Spirit, speaking through James, writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Father, Strong words from James this morning. And many of us understand this trial better than others. For many of us, this is our constant companion each moment of our lives. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just right now begin to work in our hearts. Help us to listen with spiritual eyes, to see with spiritual eyes, and to see with a, with a spiritual heart what your word has for us. Lord, prepare the soil, drive down these truths deep in the heart, may it find good soil, may it reap and pre-produce a hundredfold. We ask for your guidance as we read these words. Speak to us, in your name we pray, amen. As you can see, the trials and the sufferings that James is sharing with us to face with joy is that of temptation. And I want to give you three myths about temptation. I want to give you a couple truths about it, and then we're going to look at some practical things that we can do. First, I want to share with you three myths about temptation. The first one we're going to look at says that God tempts Christians, that temptations come from God. And we see that in verse 13 where he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, it would be against God's nature to tempt us. In Habakkuk, he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong, speaking of God. And Isaiah, echoing the same thing, writes, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And we can spend the rest of our time this morning looking at what Scripture says about the nature and character of God but I believe that you understand that we have a holy God, do we not? And He is not in the business of looking on evil and being tempted or tempting others with evil. You see, temptation is an impulse to sin. Let me say it again in case you're taking notes. Temptation is an impulse to sin. And God does not have an impulse to sin, and He does not go around impulsing us, if that's a word, I'm going to do a Shakespearean uh, thing here and make up words. He does not impulse us to sin or, or bring us to sin. God tempts Christians is a myth. 
The second myth that we want to look at today is what I call the Flip Wilson principle. And that's the devil made me do it. Anyone here remember the Flip Wilson? There's a few of you. The devil made me do it. We see that in verse 14 where he says, not that the devil makes us do it, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. You see, the progression of temptation to sin is desire, allured, enticed, concede, sin, and death. Desires are the things that we long for, the things that we crave, the cravings of the flesh, the cravings of the heart, and the cravings of the ego. We see that sin begins in the heart, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, speaking to the disciples about the Pharisees, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. You see, the work that we have in temptation comes from not from outside, but that which is within. We are the ones that provide the very ingredients needed for temptation. Hence why Proverbs 4.23, and I'm going to ask you to mark this down. Proverbs 4.23, this is a verse you must memorize. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. If your heart is evil, you will only get what? Evil. And so he tells us to guard our heart, to keep your heart with all vigilance. The myth that the devil made me do it is just that. It's a myth. The third myth that you and I need to understand about temptation is that there's nothing wrong with giving in to a little temptation. You ever thought that? Well, what's wrong if I, I keep this around? You know, it's, it's harmless fun. Don't we do that? We reason and justify ourselves. Nothing will hurt me this time. I can control it. Those are the words, but that's a myth. That's a myth. Look at verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, read with me, brings forth death. So is there anything wrong with the little temptation? Yes. We become like Israel. We want to put people into tribute. And we think that it's like something that we can just play out. It's just my little yo-yo. It's my little fun. And we play with it every once in a while. I love that verse conceived or that word conceived. That word conceived actually means to seize, to arrest, to capture, or to become pregnant. Just as a woman is captured and when she conceives, it's to arrest, to capture, to seize. Many times we think that there's nothing wrong with giving in to a little temptation. We feel that we deserve it. We can handle it, but yet we see that there's all things wrong with just a little bit. Because even a little bit of temptation can lead to sin, and sin leads to death. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, famous portion of Scripture. Many of you might have had the majority of this memorized. But in 1 John chapter 2, he gives us a warning, a commandment. As we understand that there's myths, God does not tempt us, the devil doesn't make us do it, and there is something wrong with giving in to it. He tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. Could it be any clearer? But it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not fall into accepting and believing these myths about temptation. That's what Satan wants you to do. The more that we believe these little lies, the more likely we are to succumb to his very devices. Now, I want to give you three truths. Three truths about temptation. The first one that you need to understand, and most of you will know this, so I'm preaching to the choir, but you need to understand the truth, is that temptation is not sin. Thank God. Temptation is not sin. We need to understand the difference between testing and temptation. Test and tempt in these verses come from the same word that means to prove, to examine, to get the proof of, to look at the, you know, see if the rubber meets the road. And every trial that God brings in our life always comes with a little capsule coming in from Satan. It's a temptation as Satan always offers a shortcut to the promises of God. You might remember, I've shared this with you many times, is that God tests us to strengthen our character and to draw us close to Him, right? So God, when He brings a testing, when the Bible tells us, count it all joy when you face trials and testings. Those testings from God are meant to strengthen our character and to draw us closer to Him as, as trials and sufferings bring us to a greater dependency. However, Satan will use that same trial to put in a virus, to put in a poison pill. And that's temptation. For Satan uses temptations that are to destroy our faith and to draw us away from God. So one circumstance has two different outcomes. God intends it to strengthen our character, to strengthen our faith, and to draw us, while Satan seeks to destroy the very faith or character we have and to draw us away from God. The difference between testing and temptation is found in the motivation and the expectation of the author of that testing and temptation. See, God doesn't seek to induce sin and destroy our faith, but to build us up. So temptation isn't sin. The second truth that you need to understand is that all Christians experience temptation. You are not alone. You are not unique in that gathering. We do not despair, though, because during testing, when temptation comes, for testing comes from outer pressure, while temptation comes from inner pressure. We see there in that verse, Corinthians 10, 13, where he gives us this promise. He gives us a word of encouragement where he says, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is, get this, faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All Christians experience temptation. If you're here today, you most likely have experienced temptation from the moment you woke up to the moment you sleep. That's the normal Christian life. We will struggle with temptation our whole 
life. And that's something that's very difficult. Again, that's a trial that seems to be with us. We get words of encouragement that all the Christians experience it. You're not unique and you're not alone. The third truth that I want to bring to you is that others have overcome temptation before you. And that's the good news. Others have overcome temptation. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the, the Hall of Faith. And in Hebrews 11, we see all these men and women of faith. Now, the men, we just got through reading Judges. And when you read through Judges, you see some men that have some very large faults, some very big flaws in their life. But yet, when you see them and you look at their lives, and then you see Hebrews says that these were men and women of faith, you say, how in the world can that be? They seem to fall to temptation, whether it's Gideon or Samson, whether it's Abraham or David. But yet through here he says, these have been examples to us. It ends there chapter 11 and then in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, because of all these men and women of faith, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Others have not only faced temptation, but temptation can be defeated. That was the scripture we saw earlier, that God never gives us something greater that we can handle. Now, when we read that, I, I kind of want to cringe. More or less, I think we need to be careful with that in the fact that God never gives us anything bigger that He cannot handle. The problem is, is many times we face temptation on our own. We face it and say bravely, oh, I can, I can beat this, and I'll put all these things in, in, in place so I can defeat it, and yet then we fall time and time again. And then guilt and shame comes. But what we need to realize is God has promised that we can overcome temptation. Doug Moo, who's a professor and theologian, writes that Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation. See, that's what the problem is. Many times, many of us would say, well, am I growing more like Christ? But then you look at your life. You look in the mirror and you say, wait a second, I am facing temptation over and over. And many times, you and I face the same temptation over and over, amen? And you wonder, will I ever be able to break it? Will I ever be able to defeat it? Will it ever be a time in my life where that is not a temptation and a struggle? But that's not the indicator of Christian growth and Christian maturity. Listen to what he says once again. He says, Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to that temptation. So if you want a greater indication of whether or not you're growing more like Christ and becoming freer from sin, then I would look not at the frequency of your temptation, but the frequency in which you give in to those desires and the lusts and the cravings of your heart. For you and I will face temptation until the day that we die. And that sometimes is not encouraging news, because I don't know about you, but I'm ready just to give up temptation. I'm ready for that day when we are freed 
from the presence of sin. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day when I can look in the mirror and I do not have to think about what I've thought about or what I've done. I'm looking for that day where a clear conscience is full and intact. One day that will be. But in this day, you and I will face the trials and the sufferings of temptations. We as Christians are not immune to the pressures of Satan. I would have this to say, to be honest with you, because I believe that Christians, we are actually more in battle with Satan. He doesn't care who you are before you're a believer. You're already doing his will. The only one he wants attacked are those that are his enemies. His enemies are those that proclaim the cross of Christ. See, Satan knows that he cannot take your salvation. He knows that he cannot prevent you from inheriting eternal life. All he wants to do is to slow you up and to paralyze you. And let me ask you, and you don't have to answer this to me, but is there right now in your life a series of temptations or maybe a unique temptation or a specific temptation that is paralyzing you in your Christian life right now? If I'm honest, I would say yes. There are things in which in my life it just slows me down or paralyzes me, keeps me from going forward. Why? Because I know myself, I look in the mirror, and I see who I am. I can only fool myself for so long. But not only that is we can only fool each other. And many times we don't want to take that step forward, whether it's baptism or maybe membership in a church or serving in my spiritual gift, because if I do so, then others will see my weak spots and see the kinks in my armor. And maybe they may just see the glimpse of the mask of the person behind the mask I wear on Sundays. But let me tell you this. In a community even of this size, I guarantee you that there are other Christians who are facing the same temptation that you are. Some who are succumbing to it, some who are in the midst of fighting mightily against it, and maybe even some that have defeated it and holding it at bay. That's the power of the small group. That's the power of believers who are doing life together are transparent enough and trusting enough to say, pray for me, help me with this struggle. This is the temptation that I have. Here's the craving of my heart that just holds me down and I can't escape it because it's not from without, it's from within. And how can you run from your own heart? You can't, can you? No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you're still there. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of your temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to it. You may ask, why is this an issue? Well, Professor Doug Moo continues to write that you and I need to understand temptation. We need to understand where it comes from. Temptation is a big deal. Why? Because just an example, he writes, financial difficulties can tempt us to question God's providence. And there may be some of you this morning that did that as the offering plate comes. You say, I cannot tithe, I cannot give because I don't know what my bills are or you don't know what my expenses are. And when we do that, it's not that we're protecting ourselves, but we're saying God is not good, He's not faithful, He doesn't have enough, He will not provide. 
We do that to the kingdom of God. It doesn't advance because financially we don't trust God. We're tempted to not trust Him. The death of a loved one can tempt us to question God's love and God's goodness and God's wisdom. For why would He take this loved one? Why would He take them from us? Does He not understand the pain and what I have to bear and how much I needed that person? And the suffering of the righteous poor and the ease of the wicked that we live in this world can tempt us to question God's justice. And do we not do that? We question God's justice. And that's what Satan is trying to do with the temptation that you and I face. He wants us to doubt the goodness of God. And so let me ask you today, how many of you through your temptation are doubting the goodness of God? For that's all temptation is. We have the promises of God and we have the promises of Satan. Which one will you be satisfied? God says, here is marriage. Here is my method of sex and companionship and love and how I see the world working. That's why the Bible says, be satisfied with the wife of your youth. But then men are given a shortcut that says, well, here's pornography. This will give you what you need rather than what God wants. And we believe the lie. And it could be for the women with, with the same thing with romance novels. It could be anything with our finances or with our work and the things that we trust in. God says, here's my good promise. We find him in his word, but Satan comes and says, listen, listen, that's all good and dandy, but let me give you a, a shortcut. And so you and I are not satisfied with the promises of God. Look at Adam and Eve. When he tempted Eve, that's all he had to do. He just had to cast doubt on God's goodness. He gave them a shortcut. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when he was tempted in the wilderness, Satan offered him everything that legitimately belonged to God, to Christ. Everything. Look at everything that he offered him. It was a legitimate reward for Christ's humility and obedience. All Satan did, it says, I'll offer you a shortcut. I know God promised you this, but to do so means that you have to die and suffer. I'll give it to you if you just do this right now. And that's what Satan's doing right now. He's looking into your heart and says, I know what you want. I know what you crave. I know what you desire. And let me tell you, the way God has costs too much. It's too much. He just doesn't understand you. He doesn't want the good of you. He says, here's a shortcut. Take it. It'll taste good. It'll feel good. And let me tell you, it will. I remember times as a young person standing, sitting where you were and listening to youth pastors and teachers and others, they would tell you about sin and they said, it's no good. And that's true, but yet in the very thing is actually it does in its first bite, does it not? It is sweet. We love the things that are illicit, the things that we cannot grab. And it may be good for just a little bit, but in the end, it leads to death. So you may ask, well, how does this bring confidence, hope, and encouragement? Well, all I can say is that Jesus can relate to our temptations. And He offers us help as the Holy Spirit 
wrote in Hebrews chapter 2, he says, For because he, Jesus himself, has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me show you, we are not alone. We have one who can empathize. We have one who understands and one that advocates and fights on our side. Now you have a question, I know you do. You have a question to say, wait a second, wait a minute, wait a second. Desires? Are they good or bad? Are they legitimate or illegitimate? What about my natural or my God-given desires? Doesn't the Bible tell me in Psalms 139 that God hardwired me? What about the desires that I have? What if I do desire someone of the same sex? What if I desire something else? That was God-given, is it not? If I had a desire, is that not how God has made me? Here's, let me say something real quick on that. And we won't spend a lot of time. But first, we need to realize that our desires have been corrupted by sin. And all our desires need to be examined by the truth of Scriptures. For there are legitimate God-given desires and there are illegitimate desires of our heart. And just because you and I have a desire does not mean that we are to seek to satisfy that in an ungodly way. Any desire that you have, any craving that you have, you are to fill that appetite in a godly way, in the way that God has prescribed. For all desires are to be satisfied with the promises of God rather than the shortcuts offered by Satan. You see, that's the world's view today. Well, if this desire, this is natural born, it's given by God, then I must fill that appetite. If we have a craving, you must fill it, right? That doesn't mean that's what God has called us to do. For temptations come from the heart. Hence why David says, Search me, O God, and seek me. Expose any wicked way in me. So there's three myths about temptation. God tempts Christians. The devil made me do it. And there's nothing wrong with giving in to a little temptation. As we see some scripture, James tells us that's hogwash. But he also gives us some truths that we need to understand. Is that temptation is not sin. So do not despair when you're facing temptation. It's giving in to that temptation. It's allowing that temptation to overtake you that it's a sin. We must realize that we're all going to experience it in different ways and in many different avenues. And that others have overcome temptation before us. I'd like to end with this part of the message by telling how you can run from temptation. I'm going to give you some practical ways. I don't always do this, but I believe that this case where he says that we need to, we need to run from temptation. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, you'll see it there on the screen. says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He tells us to flee from that. I'm reminded of the example of Joseph. It's found in Genesis chapter 39. You may remember as Joseph, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's brought as a slave. He finds himself in Potiphar's house, who was an officer of Pharaoh. And in it, he gave him all of his goods. He showed himself to be a good man, a good house manager. And he's given him reign of over all the house. And he does it in a way that God prospers him. But eventually, poor Joseph, as a young man, we see that he's probably very good looking, well taken care of. He catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, 
who then once she sets her eyes on him, begins to pursue him relentlessly. In verse 10 it says, And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her, nor would he lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, it says in verse 12, She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. We're to flee from temptation. You're to flee from those cravings, from those desires. Let me share with you how we do that. First one is we need to resist the devil. We need to resist him, plain and simple. First Peter chapter 5. He says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour. That's all he wants to do is destroy you. He wants to seek the end of your marriages. He wants to seek the end of your finances. He wants to destroy every relationship. He wants to destroy everything in your life. Oh, I wish we could understand that. But in verse 9, he says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's another encouraging word that says that we're not in it alone. But we're to resist the devil. Why? Because he's seeking to throw a poison pill into that which is good. He wants to offer you a shortcut. And he stirs up the cravings of your heart and offers you something other than the goodness of God. There's two ways that you can resist the devil. You cannot do it of your own power. Amen? We find that, right? The cravings, we can fight them for a while, but eventually in our flesh we will fail. So there's two ways we're going to do it. We're going to do it David's way. Does anyone know which way David did it? Hide God's word in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says in Psalms 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin. Hence again, that's why I love when we can take scripture and put it to music because it's so much easier to understand it. Let me tell you, you need to indenuate yourself with God's Word. You need to breathe it in, drink it in, swim in the Word of God to understand the promises of God, whether it's in your marriages, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in work. You need to understand what has God promised to His children. And you need to grow in your faith. Hide God's Word in your heart. Sing God's Word in your heart. Pray God's Word when you face, when those cravings start to come, you need to, to alter your mind. You need to think on something new, which brings me to the second one. Not only do you need to hide God's word in your heart, but you also need to bring into captivity every thought. Second Corinthians 10.5, he tells us we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. When there's a word that comes to, to doubt Christ or to doubt the goodness of God or to consider something other than the promise of God, we need to bring that into captivity. We need to destroy it. We do that as we hide God's word and we recognize that this is not from God. The problem with many Christians, the reason why we do not do good in fighting temptation is because we don't always understand the thought process, and that it's in the mind. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. The battle is of the mind. 
It's in our thoughts. Every desire, everything starts with our minds. That's why he says in Philippians 4.8, mark this down. This is another verse that you should have memorized. He says, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Those cravings and those desires, and you're being enticed to them, it's starting to look good to you. Your ego says, I deserve this, I need this, I want this. We need to have that brain filter that says, no, this is not of God. And then we destroy it. We bring it in captivity, and we bring up the promises of God. So you need to resist the devil by hiding God's word in your heart, by bringing every thought into captivity. Number two, as we look at how we run from temptation, is we need to use the power of the Holy Spirit. For we can do all those things, but we must recognize that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our advocate, our helper. Romans 8.2 tells us, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now if you and I have been delivered from the penalty of sin, you and I have been delivered from the power of sin. We are not yet delivered from the presence of sin. That's the temptation. But yet we have been delivered from the power of sin. In other words, for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are called, those that He has chosen and brought to Himself, He says that you are free. You do not have to sin. You no longer are a slave of Satan. You do not have to obey. In other words, sin for you and I today is a choice. It may be a difficult, hard choice. And if you're like me, at many times you feel after the falling of the temptation or the struggle, you say, boy, I never felt like I felt like I was compelled, like I was controlled and I couldn't help it. But yet, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has set us free. And now there's a choice. And we need to choose God. Remember that we're not alone in this battle. That we has been defeated. And there's no power of sin over our lives. And then the last one is never go without asking. Never go without asking. He tells us in Romans 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks will be opened. We saw that earlier when he says, If anyone lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. For many of us, when these cravings come, we begin to fight it. We begin to put it down. But yet we never come and ask the Holy Spirit. We never come and ask God for help. And usually by the time we do it, it's when the guilt and shame has just brought us so low. If you and I can get into the habit, the spiritual discipline of asking God help before it, we would see more victory in our lives. It's kind of like the man who was praying and saying, Lord, I thank you that I haven't sinned today. I haven't had a bad thought. I haven't kicked the dog. I haven't yelled at my wife. I'm not angry at my boss. And I haven't flipped anyone off on the freeway. But Lord, I'm getting out of bed now. And I need that cup of coffee. The first words out of your mouth ought to be, Lord, by your grace I go today. Help me for the battle. Your last thought as your, as your eyes find sleep. Father, thank you for the day. Strengthen me for tomorrow. 
our prayers ought to be constant. Never go without asking. Not only for the Holy Spirit and Father's help, how about for each other? Hey, I need you to pray for me right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm just ready to unload. You pray for each other. Right then and there. Not all I'll pray for you later. Pray for us right now. I'd like to leave you with these closing words. It's found in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Just as James was writing to some Hebrew Christians that were sojourners and exiles who were dispersed from their homeland, who were finding themselves faced with trials and sufferings and were longing for their homeland, James says, count it all joy. You may not be home, but wherever you are, count it all joy. For God will strengthen you. You and I need to realize that we're not of this home. We're not to love this world. This will bring temptation. This will bring that trial. But we need to realize that it's waging war against our soul. Do not be slowed down. Do not be paralyzed. Do not be destroyed by that which Satan is trying to do but realize that God has good promises to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your character, and to draw you close to Him. And Father, I pray that that's what temptation does. Lord, when it comes, it, it's something that's a poison pill placed in a good testing of God. And Father, I pray that we would recognize it for what it is. Lord, let our words always be towards You. Strengthen us for this this constant battle. There may be some here that need to repent and confess of a temptation that, Lord, that they've been given into. Father, there's some here that have despaired of maybe even life itself because they believe that they cannot be helped and they're going to give in. Strengthen them today by your word. Let us as brothers and sisters embrace them with our love and strengthen them with our prayers. And Father, I pray as we face this constant companion during this life, Lord, that we would fight to the point of shedding blood, realizing that the power of sin has been brought to nothing by your obedience and by the Holy Spirit application of making us alive to God. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your comfort. We pray this in your name. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.